James chapter 1, verse 22, the danger of passive Christianity. Uh, just some review or a little bit, James has been addressing a number of things. We've talked about how he's encouraging believers during, during that time that are facing persecution and trial and temptation. He's encouraging them to have a joyful attitude because we know what God is doing in the midst of all that. And then he targets things like temptation and how we overcome temptation by unveiling the process that all of us will face. And of course, a few weeks ago, we targeted one of those major temptations, which was anger, and that everyone experiences anger, but not everyone manages it well. It starts as an emotion, and it tends to flow through our life as an action that is usually unhealthy. And so James helps us to understand, be slow to anger. And now what he does is he just gets kind of blunt and really bold in these verses that we're going to read uh, today. And I think what we're going to find is he sort of separates two different kinds of people. There are those who are passive Christians and those who are responsive Christians when it comes to the word of God. And of course, he's encouraging believers to be those that respond to God's word and the danger that there is when we don't. And so that's what we're going to find today in these verses. So you can read along with me, verse 22, chapter 1. He says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently or carefully at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in all that he does. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you want to be blessed in all that you do? Yeah. James tells us exactly uh, how to do that. Something very interesting that I observed throughout the book of James is that he has a very rare uh, teaching style, but it is, there's a pattern there. He brings an, an awareness about an issue, then he gives a warning, and then he follows it up with an action plan. Don't you love that kind of clarity? It's amazing. It's like he's a business coach, except for your soul. He brings an awareness to an issue, he brings a warning, and then he tells us what exactly we're supposed to do. And of course, with that, you would assume, and you've probably read all, all of this, that he talks about all of these various commands, do this, do this, and, and do that. But clearly he was aware of an issue that even Christians have, that there is this tendency for us to hear and not do. He was aware of that. He spoke right to it. That is not their issue. That is still our issue today, to hear what God's word says and yet not do it at all. And so I'm calling this Christian passivity, not just passivity, but Christian passivity. That tendency to be non-responsive when the word of God is spoken, when the word of God is read, or in whatever way that we interact with God's word, the hearing only without any type of, of responding, this inactive faith. So the question could be, why do we, why do we have passivity? Why are we passive at times? I, I want to explore that a little bit with some of the words that, that he gives here, but it reminded me of a true story. Everybody say, true story. So I want, I want to share with you a, a true story today. Are you ready? Okay, remember this is true. This story is about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. I have no idea how that relates to this story. Uh, <laughs> but it just talks about passivity. And here's what I wanted to say is that we all are accountable to God's word. You know that, right? You are accountable to what you do with Jesus, and you and I are accountable to God's word. No, nobody else is, is going to stand before God for you. It's, you. You stand before Jesus. He's the mediator between us and the Father. But we're accountable to the word of God. There are no excuses. 
When we get to heaven and we stand before God, we don't have excuse. We, we can talk about all the things that have happened to us and people that have wrong. All that stuff is real. I'm not minimizing anybody's pain. But at the end of the day, we are accountable to God for our life. What did you do with Jesus and what did you do with God's word? And James goes after us and we need to let him. And so with that said, I want to bring three things to you out of this passage. The first one is a clear command and that command is simple. Obey God's word. In verse 22, he just simply says in one translation, do what the word says. A straightforward way of calling for obedience to the believer. And some of us could say this exhortation just seems like a duh statement. Like, it's so obvious. Why does anybody need to say this? It's like when your kids are growing up and you tell them to do something because they have a pattern of not doing it. And when you say, do this, they go, I know. And you remind them, I'm not telling you to do this because you don't know. I'm telling you to do this because you don't do. Can I get an amen from the parents? All right, now you just, you got to help me out now. And so we could say that James is giving that duh statement. It seems unnecessary. It's rather obvious, but here's what we know from Scripture. There is a history of God's people showing that rebellion was more normative or frequent than faithful obedience. Rebellion was more normal than faithful obedience. Sure, there are stories in the Bible. Ben, what about Daniel? What about Joseph? What about David? What about Esther? What about Ruth? What about all these men and women of God that you preach about, that we talk about? We share these stories with our children, the faithful obedience of people that responded to God. And friends, they exist, don't they? Those stories are in the Bible. But can I tell you today, they're few and far between. In the midst of those peaks, there are a lot of valleys. There's a lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining, a lot of sin, a lot of disobedience, and a lot of rebellion. And when you start to think about the history of God's people, it makes a lot of sense for James just to point his finger at the body of Christ and say, don't just hear, but put it into practice. Now it starts to make a lot of sense if you're a Bible reader, because there is an overwhelming pattern of disobedience and, and rebellion. And I wanted to bring up one such passage that I think summarizes all this because misery loves company and I read this passage this week and I just wanted to share it with you. Psalm chapter 78, I don't have time to read the whole thing, I encourage you to, it's not very encouraging, but I encourage you to read it and it summarizes the children of Israel and how God had delivered them by a mighty hand out of slavery and bondage and all that and it summarizes how they acted on the other end of their freedom from slavery. You'd think it'd be very, very different, but here's what it says, Psalm 78 and verse 10. It says, they did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. Those are strong words, refused. They refused to walk in his law. Drop down to verse 17. Yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert, and in their heart, they put God to the test. Wait, there's more. Hold on. Verse 32. In spite, I can't even do this right. In spite of all this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wonderful works. And verse 41. Again and again, they tempted God and they vexed the Holy One of Israel. Wow. That is a summary of what it was like, what life was like on the other end of receiving your freedom. So here's what we know. Throughout history, Old Testament, New Testament, God's people were commanded in two different ways. They were given commands of what not to do, so the do-nots, and they were given commands of things they ought to do, or here's what you need to do. They were told, do not eat from the tree. Do not look back when I bring you out into freedom from your slavery. Do not worship other gods. Do not intermarry. And it wasn't about ethnicity or race. It was about preserving the messianic line and it was about worship. Don't allow other gods to come into your camp. Do not tolerate that. But friends, they did all those things they were told not to do. And then God tells them through the prophets and through Moses, do justice to others. Treat people fairly. Treat them with righteousness. Love God, love your neighbor, give back to God in serving, offering, tithes, sacrifices, and so much more. But there's another summary verse of the children of Israel. As though I'm judging them, I'm judging all of us today. 
in the book of Judges, it says about Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is what I think is right. But they did not obey God. So the Old Testament is filled with this same command that James gives today, obey God's word. Don't just read it. Don't just hear it. Don't just memorize it. Don't just recite it. Don't just think your knowing equals the doing, but obey it because this is what pleases God. Remember Jesus said, it's in your notes, maybe it's John 13, 14, and Jesus is in the last moments of his earthly life before he's betrayed and then crucified, and they're mourning. Jesus is giving them all this important information because he's about to go and die and then rise from the dead, and he'll be with them shortly after that and then ascend to the Father, and he makes this statement, if you love me, obey my commands. Remember that? Jesus defines what loving him means. We don't get to do that. We don't get to say, I love God and I love Jesus and then live how we want. No, Jesus actually defines what loving him means. He actually tells us what he wants. Amen? That's what spouses should do for one another. <laughs> we need to define what love means. I love you, but our life is not summed up in what he defined that actually means. If you love me. Because he's thinking like, look, he's about to be betrayed. He's going to die. They're going to watch all of this. And their dreams are going to be crushed because they think something else is supposed to happen. And here's what he tells them. Guys, if you really love me, all this stuff is about to happen. I don't just want you to be sad. I don't just want you to be defensive. I don't, don't want you to rail on other people. I want you to obey my commands. Remember everything that I told you, and this is what I want from you. It's what pleases me. So they had this, of course, in their mind throughout all, the, all that they saw. But we have a problem when we think about obeying God, don't we? We have a heart that's corrupt with sin. So no matter how hard we try, we have this thing in us that leans us towards another way of life, and we cannot obey God's word in our own strength. And if you've tried, you know. You cannot obey God's word in your own strength. This is why God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah about a new day that was coming. And here's what he said. This is prophesying about Jesus coming and establishing a new covenant, which we celebrated today in communion. Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now watch this. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. This prophecy is powerful, and it's very similar to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says, I will take out that heart of stone, and I will put in a brand new heart, a heart of flesh. If we are in Christ, we are participating and partaking of the new covenant which he established by his own work, and now his spirit and his word is within. And if you are a Christian, you want to obey God. Did you hear that? Listen to me. God has put inside of us. It's not just this external code. It's not just we're obeying something that has been told to us, but somehow there's not something inside of us compelling us, wanting us to do what is right. Now, if we believe in Jesus, his spirit is here, his law is written on our hearts, and even if we don't fulfill it perfectly, there is a desire from within. I want to obey God. And let me tell you today, if there is not that desire inside of you, to want to obey God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying if you're perfect. I'm not saying if everything you do lines up with scripture. I'm saying if you don't want to, if that rebellion in you is stronger than that desire in you to obey, friends, you might want to evaluate whether or not you are actually in Christ or a Christian. That's not me judging you. That's the scriptures. You can't have the spirit of God inside you and the word of God written on your hearts and just go on sinning like it doesn't matter. No, you grieve when you sin. You hate your sin. You don't want to do your sin. And so we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's through Jesus that we're forgiven and we're cleansed and we're restored into right relationship. Not our performance, but there's something about us being a Christian and having what God has given us in the inside compelling us forward. 
We want to obey God's word. So don't start out like, oh, Ben, I'm a bad Christian, man. I had a horrible week. You know what I'm saying? And I wasn't able to obey much of anything, you know. We all, we all sin, right? We all sin. Pastor, is that right? Well, yeah, but my question isn't whether or not you sinned this week. My question is, did you want to obey God? Is that your heart? Is that my heart? Is that my heart? Because that is evidence of what's on the inside of me, not something I'm trying to obey externally. That's what the promise is. Here's the problem, though. We still don't always want to obey God because we have the flesh and we're fighting against it in this life. So we need to hear the command, obey God's word. Amen. Here's the blessing. God is committed to helping us become faithful followers of Jesus and loyal to his word above everything else. God has committed his power to helping us become people that don't just desire to obey him, but actually follow through. God's power is in us, compelling us in that way. When um, our kids were young, and, and when kids are, are young, and they get old enough to respond, right? I mean, uh, let me just clarify something before I get too far into this. When, when kids are real young, and they disobey, or they do something that <laughs> is wrong, it's, in some cases, it's, it's like you get a little upset, but you kind of laugh too, because you're like, well, <laughs> they can't really... Uh, obey, right? I mean, um, so when they get old enough to respond, like about one and a half, you know, and understand everything that you're saying, I have high expectations, you know. <laughs> you're like praying, you guys, are, all the intercessors started praying for my children. Like the minute I opened my mouth, oh Lord, help his children. I don't, I've heard about pastor's kids. They, they don't, it doesn't end well, does it? Um, no, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Um, but we tell our kids, they get old enough. I, I'm not going to name the number because boys and girls are different. So we'll just leave it there. But we tell them, do this and don't do that. And we do it because it, hopefully it's what's best for them. We're good parents and we want them to be safe and blessed and protected and moving forward. But have you ever seen the mischievous grin on a child that is old enough to fully understand what you are telling them to do or not to do. And you say that, and then you kind of walk away, but if you glance back and you, and you see that little grin on their face, which is sign language I have learned, for I am going to do the exact opposite of what you just said, <laughs> right? And this is like the rebellion that we're talking about and why we, we need Jesus. It's found in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And it reveals its evidence to the fact that we, we need Jesus to help us be obedient sons and daughters of God to his word. You know, when I was a youth pastor a long time, 20 years ago at this point, I can't believe I can even say that, but 20 years ago, I was a, I was a youth pastor. And one of the hardest things that I had to deal with um, was not the rebellious youth. I loved the youth. Every young person that God had given me that was a part of our youth group was way better than I was when I was a young person. So I was okay with that. There were, there were a few stubborn kids that I wanted to kick in the kneecap once in a while, but it wasn't legal, so I didn't do it. But I wanted to once in a while, you know. That, 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 that might make you look for another church, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of saying what I'm feeling. Uh, and I'll leave the stories where they were, but, but there were some good kids. And then, but everybody was better than I was. I didn't have a hard time with the kids. I had a hard time with some of the parents of the kids, can I talk to you for a minute? All right. So there were parents that when they would drop their kids off at youth group, I learned that they thought their kids were different than they actually were. So they thought they were dropping off Righteous Ryan, and they were really giving me Wreck-It Ralph. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. They were. Like they were going to, you know, they dropped off listening Laura, and that's not, that's not who I got. <laughs> Right? I, it's, it, so I got train wrecked Tony. I, I, did, I don't know. And so one time I had a kid who did something really bad, and I was sweating bullets because I needed to go talk to their parents, and I knew their parents had a different view, a false perception of their child. So I sat down with them. It was the first time I'd ever done this. I think I was 21. And yeah, amen. <laughs> Feel my pain. <laughs> it's like therapy right here. Uh, so I sat down with them. And I mustered up the strength and the courage to share with them what had happened. 
and how it affected everyone else. And as sure as I am here today telling you the truth, this parent, after I shared this story with them, looked back at me and basically told me that this couldn't have been the case because that's not what they do and it's not what they're like. And when they told me that, I really, I really knew I was in trouble. And here's the worst part, is that their kid isn't going to be better if this is the way their parent thinks about them. Okay, so I don't want them to be like, oh yeah, I knew that they were a train wreck, you know, pastor, I'm sorry, I thought it'd be worse, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that, you know, but, but a little bit of agreement, like I took, you know how much it took for me to tell them this? They couldn't have understood that. I mean, it took so much courage from a 21-year-old youth pastor, brand new, and for them to tell me that, I thought, oh Lord, like, is this youth ministry? <laughs> I'm out, uh, but I'm a pastor today, so... I want to tell you, God's not like that. We, we, aren't, we try to be good parents and all that. I'm not throwing them under the bus, but we try to be good parents. God is, not, God is very clear with what our issues are. He's a good father. He's very clear with what our issues are, and he doesn't just schmooze them over like they're not there because he understands that the obedient life is the best life and our obedience to God isn't just about saying, yes, sir. It's that what he wants and says for our life is what's best. And what we do is trust that he knows better than we do. And that's what this is all about. It isn't about shame and feeling bad for what we're not and what we haven't done. It's realizing that God's path is what's best. So obedience to God is our pleasure because we trust our father. And people get this twisted and they get this wrong. And the reason that we get it wrong is because we still have rebellion bound up in our hearts. We're still fighting off that rebellion. Now, we're going to have some of that flesh. We're going to have some of that rebellion. But we've got we've to surrender and say, look, I may have some struggles, but the one struggle I'm not going to have is God's ability to tell me the truth about my life so that I can live the best life. That's, we can't have that struggle. We can have struggles with sin, and we have this kind of maybe up and down relationship where we're fighting off these temptations. All of that might be true, but we've got to surrender first and foremost to the Lord and saying, your truth is my truth. Your way is my way. Your way is the best way. And, and, and that can't be our struggle. That can't be our struggle. Like we read this book and I'm not really sure if this is true and I don't know a human. If, you, if that's it, you're gonna develop your own version of Christianity. And we become God, right? The Bible's not over me, I'm over it. I determine what it says and what I'm going to do. And God is a committed father and he's seeking to help us walk in obedience because it is what's best for us. And so we need to hear the command, obey God's word. But James doesn't stop there. He also gives us a warning. And the warning is this, being passive with God's word brings deception into your life. Verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, who delude themselves. People who only hear the word delude themselves. Other translations say deceive themselves. And this word means to miscalculate, to reason falsely, and to have the wrong opinion about something. This carries the idea that a person with this practice will end up with a false perception of themselves. And friends, we cannot afford a false perception of ourselves. That every time we read the word that we think it doesn't apply to us. Every time we read the word, we can just walk away like it, uh, like it, doesn't, like it doesn't matter. I was thinking about um, early on with, um, trying not to name kids here, but one of my older kids we always forced, our, I mean, we always encouraged our kids to read the Bible daily. <laughs> A little slip there. <laughs> so years ago, one of our sons, uh, he didn't grab his Bible in the morning to read. I grabbed mine and I'm sitting on the couch and he, he uh, I look over and he didn't grab his Bible to sit on the couch and read with me. And at first I'm thinking, okay, maybe he forgot because I'm trying to have a good heart about this. Amen. I'm trying to have a good heart about how I'm how me and Bridget are raising our, our home. And so I said to him, hey, let's read our Bibles. <laughs> That's that gentle parental nudge, amen. And he said, I already read it. Thank you. <laughs> and he's young, you know, he's young. And he went on to explain that because he read the Bible cover to cover, he no longer needed to read it. And he gave me a good, he, he gave it his best shot. He's, we're like lawyers in our home. Everybody's got a debate. And so he gave it his best shot, but here was his thinking. I read it, I heard it, I know it, I'm good. 
That was his thinking. Here's his problem. He may have read it, but he's forgot it. And he's not focused on doing it. He's treating it like a book, not God's eternal truth that we need every day in our life. Just like we need food to eat, just like we need water to drink, just like we need air to breathe, we need God's word to live a spiritual life. His problem was so far beyond what he understood. And as a result of not being focused on doing, there is no transformation. There's no change. If you just read the Bible like a book, there's no change because you're not going to do what it says. And here's the thing. As much as I can throw him under the bus, he's not here today, so I can do it. As much as I can throw him under the bus, he's actually saying what so many Christians are living. So I love the courage of kids. Don't misunderstand me. I love the courage of young people to just say it. They just say it. And it's uncomfortable, but so many people do it even if they're not willing to say it. We get older and we sophisticate the simple truth that comes out of the mouth and the heart of a child. In verse 23 and 24, James describes what this deception actually looks like, and it's genius. It's a, it's a genius illustration. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looked at his natural face in a mirror, and once he has looked at himself and he's walked away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's what it's like for a person who hears only. And he uses the metaphor of a mirror, and of course you would, uh, you would know this, or at least think it, but in ancient times, when James is writing this, they didn't have mirrors like we do today. We have, I mean, I've got a mirror on my phone, an app. You can just pull it up, and it's like it turns into a mirror. We've got nice, big, beautiful mirrors uh, that show everything. And some of you ladies, maybe men, I, w I wouldn't know, you have those, like, microscopic mirrors with lights on them, and they just, like, zero into, like, your skeleton. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to fix there. But uh, it's like, I'm going to fix that thing. I can't even see it. I, I don't know what that is. You know what I mean? Am I wrong? Like, what is that thing? I, I, don't, I thought only hairdressers had it, but then they show up in homes. So we have these nice mirrors, but in their day, they had bronze plates. That's what they look like. I had pictures. I forgot to bring them. But they were like bronze plates. If you had a little more money, they were silver, and you had to polish them regularly so they didn't tarnish. And when you looked into a mirror, it wasn't as reflective of what we're used as reflective as we're used to today. And so you kind of had to like get all the angles and look very carefully into the mirror to see what you needed to work on or change. So mirrors were very, very different, but it carries the same principle of a reflection. And mirrors do not lie. Amen. Mirrors do not lie. If you look in them long enough, they tell you all the truth. <laughs> they tell you everything that you and they're depressing. <laughs> right? I, I'm guessing in a crowd as large as ours uh, tonight, or today, it's not tonight, I'm guessing that there are a few of us that, that walk by a mirror and we say, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but uh, you want to keep listening to James for sure. You want to keep, you want to keep listening to the Bible because we're going to get to pride, but, I, but that's not today. So there's a few of us that might have that relationship with the mirror. Most people, uh, most people don't. In case you're wondering if everyone's like you, they're not. Um, they're not. But the rest of us kind of look at a mirror. We, we, you walk by, you stop, and you go, dang. <laughs> right? Just You don't say it. You feel it. I don't know. But James points out that, the Bible use, uh, that people use the Bible rightly, and they use the Bible wrongly. They don't use the Bible the right way for its purpose. And if you don't engage the Bible for its purpose, it will not transform you, which is what it ought to do. These, these are God's words, and they are spirit, and they are life. They are not mere words, just like human words. They, they look like words on a page, and this looks like a book. But when you consider the Spirit of God breathed them to be, as they were written down, and as we read them as spirit-filled people, the, the Holy Spirit breathes on that, and you and I are transformed. How many of you can say amen because you're not the same today? Amen. Because these words are spirit and they are life. And so he gives us a couple different ways that people engage with Scripture that does not bring about transformation. And, and the first one, of course, I just I, I want to bring to you three different ways that we can engage the Bible. And I'm going to use the metaphor. I'm going to press into his metaphor. The first one is God's mirror, and that's, uh, that's honestly how we want to use the Scripture. I, I have a, an illustration. Are you ready? You may not be ready. Yeah, here's a mirror. Look at this. I'm, this, this is going to hurt some of your eyes. This is going to be great. There it is. How you doing? 
right? Look into this bad boy. I should just walk around this today. Let's, let's, let's get a little encouraging. How are you guys doing? You doing good? Yeah. Yeah, you walked in. You thought you were better than you were. Nope, we knew you weren't. This is nice, isn't it? Yeah, this will go into my office um, just to catch those little things on the way out. But the mirror, I didn't realize it was going to have such reflection. Sorry about that. I'm not trying to offend you. But you're in the right place if you are. But you can look into the Bible, and it gives you the proper reflection. And, and here's what I think that he's uh, saying about this. That, I'll turn this around, all right? So you get the, you get the point. You get the point. When you, when you look into the Bible like a real mirror, a reflective mirror, there are things that come up, obviously. And you go, oh, oh, man. It talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. It talks about loving God. It talks about forgiving people who despitefully use you. It talks about... Um, don't allow bitterness to, uh, to grow up and defile you and defile many. It, it, it talks about how you ought to give yourself in love and sacrifice. It talks about how to be generous. I mean, when you read the Bible and you look at it and you want it to touch places in your life, you let it convict you. But you can't stop there. You have to let it compel you. Conviction is I feel that there's something in my life that needs to change, and that's good. That's treating the Bible rightly, but we have to move from con conviction to compelling. It has to do something in our life. That's engaging the Bible properly, and, and he says that actually in verse 25. He says, those that look into the mirror intently, carefully, those are the ones that are blessed. That's, that's how we're to engage God's word, and uh, it's, it's not just a Bible study. It's a life transformation document. Yes, it's historical, Yes, there's genres of literature. Yes, we need to rightly divide it. Yes, we need to study to show ourselves approved. All of that is true. I want us to be good Bible readers, interpreters, but appliers. We need to apply the word of God. We can't just, we can't just read it. We have to let the Bible read us. We have to let the Bible uh, read us. And so when we feel the conviction of the Lord, I need to love that person. I need to respond to that person. I need to repent. I need to, you know, just as we were talking about communion, you know how, Christianity becomes religious more than anything, or it just becomes something other than what it is. It's we let these things that are so sacred and so important, so powerful, we let them just become rituals and not realities. Jesus, in his wisdom, gave us the bread and, and the wine, and he said, I want you to do this until the day I return. It's to reflect on the fact that I paid a price for you, and you can't keep a covenant between you and God so I fulfilled it for you on your behalf. And I want you to practice this until the day that I return, to constantly have your mind and your eyes focused on Jesus, on Christ, because we can slip into religion and try to perform or just give up because our performance is not great. And he said, don't do that. Focus on Christ. Focus on me. Do this in remembrance of, of me and what I've done. And so that's what we ought to do. Engage the Bible as a real mirror. But there's a couple more mirrors, guys. Amen. He talks about that. And the next one's called, here's what I call the selfie mirror. Are you ready for this one? I call this the selfie mirror. Yep. And these are for sale in the uh, bookstore. <laughs> I signed this one. This is a, this is a, this is a one of one. I'm going to give this to you after the service. <laughs> Amen. You're welcome. I call this the uh, selfie mirror. And this is a person that, uh, I'll, I'll put it away, you get, you get the point, you get the point. You get the point. This is a person that hears the word, sees the flaws initially, but they walk away, and guess what, they forget, and they cover up what they saw. They remember it how they want to remember it. They remember what they look like in a different season. You know, Cassandra took this picture. Thank you, Cassandra. But I'll tell you something about photographers. They know placement. They know how to tell you to prep yourself. They know when the picture doesn't look right and you're really good at not telling us. And so just, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, and just trying to get the right picture. And so you've got to pose. You've got to dress up. You've got to fix your hair a hundred times or what, whatever hair I have. You've got to do some things. And then there's this thing called Photoshop. And you can look way better than you look. It's, an, it's a gift of God or technology. I don't know. But you can, if you don't have hair, you can have hair. If you don't have, if you don't like the pale color skin that I have, you can darken it a little bit. It's nice. You, got, you can change a bunch of stuff on there and the picture ends up looking like you want it to look. 
That's how some people engage the Bible. They think of themselves very different than what the Bible would tell them that they look like. I remember, oh, in that season, I was fasting all the time. In that season, I was praying every day. In that season, I was reading my Bible. I was getting up early to love on God. Oh, man, I, did, I had peace on all my borders. I was treating everybody with respect. I was, I was giving my life away. I remember that season. That was great. And so when I engage with God's word today, I may not be where I once was, but for some reason, I have this still frame in my mind about who I am, and it's called a false perception. And so when I engage with this book, I'm not letting it read me anymore where I'm at and what I need. And the Holy Spirit isn't, is trying to convict me and compel me, but I'm blocking what he wants to do because I have this mind or this mindset that is um, not allowing me to see what I need to see. And, I, and you know what? You become passive. Here's, a pa- here's what passivity proclaims. Everything's good. Nothing's wrong. Things don't need to change. I'm doing pretty good. And here's what happens. Some people, they claim to follow Jesus and know the Bible, but they just don't do what it says. They just don't do what it says. A scary verse for you guys, scary verse. I told you to put your seatbelt on. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Wow. I know some preachers have used that to make people feel all guilty, but just put that out of your mind. Let those words settle on you for a second. Like, don't squirm out of that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, which means I'm in charge and you're not, which means you're following me and I'm the leader and you're not. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? That's not an issue of perfection. That's an issue of lordship. Is Jesus Lord? Is his word true? Are we following him? And when we don't, when we fail, when we sin, Lord, forgive me, I was wrong. Not the Bible was wrong. No, your word is true. I was wrong. Like, that's our heart. That's how it's going to be. But some people have the self, felt selfie mirror. You know what that is? It's called deception. There's a warning here. It's deception. That we hear the word and we don't do it. And the longer we hear the word and we don't respond. Like, for example, if we have sins in our life and we're just not addressing them right now, friends, I have to warn you today, according to James, if you have sin in your life and you're not addressing it, you're not getting away with anything. James says what happens is we get deceived. We delude ourselves. We have a miscalculation of who we are and where we really are, and then we just keep living life 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and we think Christianity is is some kind of religious thing rather than a transformational relationship with God who lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's what religion is built on. That's what it's built on. And God says, don't do that. James, I believe in compassion, with great love in his heart, similar to Jesus, do what the word says, be changed, be transformed. But you're saying, Ben, you said there were three mirrors, and I did, I did, I did. There's one more, you thought I was done. I got 10 minutes left, all right? Now, this is what I call the Pharisee mirror. So some people, some people want to read the word rightly, they look into it, they let it reflect what it really, what, what, where your life really is. Some people look in the selfie mirror. It's like, I'm pretty good. I remember I'm, I'm in a good season. You know, not true, but anyways. And then this one, this is how people look into God's word. They look through it, and I see you. So whenever I read it, I look at you. Man, you, you need to grow. You need to grow. Wow, you need to, you know what I'm saying? Samuel, I, lo- I love you, and I love you so much that I was reading the Bible today, and it was just telling me what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like, and I was thinking of you. And I just think, <laughs> can I do that to you? Are you good? All right, you got confidence. <laughs> Let's just keep going. I'm liking it today. Here we go. Patrick, how are you doing? <laughs> Let's get it out of my system. Uh, this is the Pharisee mirror. This person doesn't look into the word for transformation. They look, uh, they look through the word at everyone else, and they're always concerned with everyone else's repentance They're always concerned with everyone else's change and transformation, and they never think about themselves and how God is convicting them and compelling them for their transformation, which, by the way, brings transformation to the rest of the world. When you and I are changed into the image of Jesus, it does compel other people, doesn't it? I think one of the most compelling witnesses of Christ is not just the words that we say, but it's the life that we live. It's the life that we live. And so those two together are like nitro meat glycerin. It's It's powerful. It's powerful, the words and the ways of Jesus. Jesus confronted the religious leaders who knew the word and used it to judge others. 
And I, I suspect that James was concerned about that very same thing that happened in God's people before could happen again. Right? It started in Acts 5. I don't want to get into that story, but it seems to me like there's a lying thing that comes upon God's people, and he's, Jesus confronted that in them, and I think James is confronting it in us here, and he's saying, don't allow yourself to hear and not do, because if you do, you'll deceive yourselves. And one of the deceptions is that we can memorize it, we can read it, we can know it, we can become familiar with it, and we can even use it in relationship to other people, but it doesn't change me. I just use it as a handbook to preach at you. How many of you know someone like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> You're like, I do. You're all looking at me, so I shouldn't ask that. All right. Matthew 7, 1, Jesus said, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged by your standard of measure will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice that big nasty log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? And behold, that big nasty log is in your own eye. Which, by the way, renders you ineffective when you can't see very well trying to help people. You know. He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. You faker. You imposter. You actor. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the genius of the passage. People focus on the do not judge. But he says, if you remove the log in your eye, then you will see clearly and be effective at helping other people. So, so that's why we have to let the word read us and not just read it. Before we help others, we address these things. We have a humble approach to God's word and others are changed, not just us. Powerful. But the third thing that, um, that he, I feel like I want another mirror. What kind of mirror could I bring? All right, anyways, that's it. That's it. Don't tell the next service. The third thing is he brings a promise. I love how he brings it home here. And here's the promise. Obeying God's word brings blessing. Look at verse 25. But one who looks intently, that also means carefully, at the perfect law, the law of liberty or freedom, and lives by it or abides by it, not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man or person will be blessed in whatever he does. The one who looks intently at the law, like I told you how the mirrors were bronze or silver, and this word intently, we, we kind of think of it like carefully, but it literally means to stoop down in order to investigate so that you might see what you need to. It's, it's like I'm going to stop and I'm going to stoop down and make sure that I see everything I need to. If we look intently it says that God's perfect law, we are careful with this because we want it to change our lives. We want it to transform our hearts. We want it to be the centrality of our family. We want it to be front and center in God's house. We want it then to, through our life, change the world around us. We will look at it carefully, intently. We will stoop down and investigate all of the vantage point that we need to in order to be blessed and changed and transformed. I want to know God's word because I want to obey God. That's the heart, right? That's what he's talking about. But I noticed this. I hadn't thought of it before. He calls it the law of liberty. He says the law of freedom, the law of liberty. When, you're, when your heart is hard, the Bible does not feel like the law of freedom. When I was young, I, I didn't become a Christian until I was almost 20. And so I was taught the Bible. I was taught that this is what the Bible says. I was, I was told you don't have sex before marriage. You live a life of purity. I was told that you need to let go of your anger and forgive people. I was told that bitterness will change me and that I need to honor my parents. And I was, I mean, I was told these things, but I just want to tell you how I felt when I was a kid. Maybe you relate to this. Maybe, maybe there's a few of you that will feel this. When I was a kid and I was told what the Bible said, it did not feel like the law of liberty to me. It felt like the law of restriction. <laughs> it felt like the law that kills all my fun. <laughs> it felt like the law that's uh, trying to tell me that I'm a bad person because what was inside of me was I wanted to do everything else. I wanted to do the opposite of what it said. So being a young person and really going all, all the way up to almost 20, I can remember like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna obey the word. That, that's not freedom. 
In fact, freedom is this life. I'm going to pursue it all. So you pursue, you pursue materialism and sexual promiscuity, drugs and alcohol, and all the fun that you think it is. You pursue all that. And you know what I found? You know what we found? If you lived the life I live, you know what you found? Self-indulgence leads to bondage. And there was no freedom at the end of that road for me. There is no freedom in that life. But the world will sell it. Your friends will accommodate it. All of that seems great. And then we hear the word and we're like, that's not the law of liberty. That's the law of restriction. That's the law of guilt and shame. The only reason it feels like that is because we don't have a heart to obey God. And then when I got changed and transformed, I found that the Bible was actually the law of liberty because I wanted to do what it says. And even though I have not been a perfect person and you have not been a perfect person, I can tell you this, that if you carefully and intently look into the law of liberty, you will find that parts of you start to change and transform if you seek not to just hear it, but to do it. God, help me to do it. The first thing that happens to us is this. You try to do it and you can't. And then you have to look up and say, I can't, but you can. Will you help me to live this way? And God says, I was waiting for you to ask me that question. And my answer is yes. I'll help you take steps. I'll help you grow. I'll help you change. It is the law of liberty, friends. I know nobody in the world will teach that. But what you learn is if you follow your own way, you're a slave to sin shackles start to restrain you, the anger, the hate, the greed, the immorality, the lies of the devil, they incarcerate us and show us really that the Bible is true, but with a hard heart, you can't see, you can't see it. Jesus set us free, and Jesus continues to set us free according to his word. And so James closes with this. If you look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and you become an effectual doer, you put it into practice, you will be blessed. That's the promise. And you know what's crazy about that is you can't know it unless you do it. You can't know it unless you do it. And you can't just do it once. You got to keep doing it, keep doing it, and then you find what blessing really is. Blessing is freedom. Blessing is a transformed heart. Blessing is you no longer hate people. Blessing is you can forgive even when others are not asking for it. Blessing is, is that you are not a person that is shaped by how others treat you. You are shaped by how God sees you. And that happens by God's word being in you and constantly being spoken to you and you and I putting it into practice. So many Christians are trying to put a Christian spin on the American dream. That's what they do. That's what we do. We just want the American dream. And so we people even find little verses in here like, oh, what blessing is. Blessing is having it all, having your cake and eating, eating it too. That's, that's what blessing No, no, friends. Blessing is that you're free and that you're clean and that you're walking with Jesus and that relationship is restored and there's nothing between you and him and you are seeking him and you want nothing else but him. And we sing, there is none like you and we mean it with all of our heart. We mean it. When you sang that song today, you meant it. We meant it. There is none like you. And when you say that and you sing that and you mean it with all your heart, friend, there's something clean about that from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. There is none like you. This is not a religious song. I'm not playing some game with God. This is the truth. There is nothing like you. No one. I went and tried to find it, but there's nothing. And so God wants to give us his blessing, but it comes through obedience so here's, as I close, here's what I would say. Maybe you're here today, and uh, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you have not surrendered your heart to the Lord, you cannot know the blessing of God for which I'm speaking today until you do. You cannot obey God until you surrender to God. You can't. You'll try. Try to have a better day. Try to have a better week, a better month. It's not about having a better anything. It's about having a brand new heart. It's about having a brand new life. Jesus gives our life back, and that's what life is all about. It's about him. If you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus, been forgiven of your sins, restored in this relationship with God, and walking out what I'm talking about today, it's not hard. He doesn't make it difficult. It's a, it's a full surrender to him. Jesus, I, I give you my life. I ask for you to forgive me, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. It's, a, it's, it's turning over the keys. It's... It's a change of ownership. 
It's a change of management, amen, and he does things so much better. That's what it's about. He wants to do that. If you haven't done that, you can do that today. And I strongly encourage you, don't try to do anything else. First, surrender your heart to Jesus. Don't try to clean your life up. Surrender your heart to Jesus. If that's you today, you can do that. I want you to come up right after the service. I want you to come right up here and let's pray together. I did it when I was 19. I want to encourage you that whatever age you're at, do it. Do it. Don't keep trying to live life without Jesus in your life. Don't do that. You're just going to find dead ends. But for the rest of us, maybe you're here today and you're done with passive faith. And it's time to activate that. I had this picture this morning as I was praying, and this is what we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand here just in a second. But I, I had this picture of like, you know when your car's dead? It's a horrible experience, right? Especially when you're stranded. It's terrible. But when your car's dead, what do you need? You need someone to give you a, a jump. Yeah, what a strange word for that, a jump. That's what we need. Our faith dies, and we need somebody to... And that's why gathering with God's people is an awesome opportunity for us to get a jump. Let's, let's get back into active faith. Let's stop treating it like a religion and start living in the relationship that Jesus paid for. He paid for more. And friends, you and I can do more than where we are right now with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why I talked about it last week. He's the power in us to live through us. You and I can do more. Let's start to fly. Let's start to do what God's called us to. Amen. Not literally fly, some of you. Not, not that. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Let's, let's, let's start to get active. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me today? Thank you, Lord. You know the position. Hands out, if you would. Let's, we're praying to God, talking to him. Put our hands out to the Lord. If that's you today, if you need to have a relationship with Jesus, come forward after the service. We'll be right here. Prayer team will be up front. If you need prayer today for anything, come forward after I dismiss. But for the rest of us, would you agree with me that our faith would be active and not passive? that we would not comply to a passive Christianity. We declare war on passivity today in the mighty name of Jesus. Just do that with your own words. We proclaim, we declare war on apathy. We declare war on excuses. Father, we want what you want. We trust you. We want to be obedient. And so we resist apathy and passivity today and we pray that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit and help us to live a life that pleases you and transforms us. And I pray for our church. God, I'm asking you today that you would help us with humility as we approach your word, that we would do it in the right way and see the fruit that you declare in your word should be true of us. We want that. We want that. So fill us with the Holy Spirit and enable us to live this way. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.com.